Hi, everybody. This is Mikey D. Welcome to my stoop. There once was a small American town, and although it sat in the forgotten corner of a giant city, it was much like any other small community around America. Everyone knew everyone else's name and everyone's business. Instead of a stream or a brook, we had the fire hydrant. We didn't have farmer's markets, but we did have a well-stocked bodega. And rather than sitting on the front porch to watch the little world flow by, we sat on our stoops. You know, it seems like an ancient time, like it was some lost city. It was like I had watched it all from the stoops of Atlantis. When you're 11 years old, Saturday morning is for sleeping late. When you finally fall out of bed, you pour a bowl of brightly colored cereal and then watch some brightly colored cartoons. But things were different after I discovered the magic and the gold, or should I say bronze, of those brightly colored comic books. Comic books published from 1970 to 1984 are called the Bronze Age comics, but for me, it was the Golden Age. My first comics were Disney and Archie's. They were the training wheel comic books. They're fun to read, but not with the big boys' Dells. It was around 1975 when I bought my first superhero book. It was a Marvel comic, Fantastic Four. You see, like Coke and Pepsi and Yankees and Mets, comic fans fall, for, for the most part, into Marvel or the DC Club. Looking back, that was a, probably a big mistake on my part. I, I should have dropped that chauvinism and enjoyed both. I mean, I missed out on the Justice League, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and, and the ultimates of superheroes, Superman himself. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! Yes, it's, it's Superman. funny how niche kids can be at that age. I was so locked into my Marvel Comics head, I would get into heated battles with my DC-loving friends. One time, I found the name of a man who wrote about comic books in the back of some X-Men comic, and I called him. Long distance. The call went something like this. I have a question. Uh, who's stronger, Marvel or DC? After a brief pause, the man replied, Marvel. They have better circulation. Luckily, it was a short call because when my mom found out I called Canada, well, the cartoon bubble coming out of her mouth was filled with ampersands and number signs. <laughs> now, the man's answer to my question was just what I wanted to hear. Of course, I could care less about the strength of the business end of the comic book industry, you know, about circulation. I was talking about hero versus hero, mano and mano. Could the Avengers beat up the Justice League? Could the Hulk give Superman a beatdown worse than a few pounds of kryptonite? He had answered my question. Who was stronger, Marvel or DC? That's what I asked. And he said Marvel. So the next day, I walked to school, chin high, and I sought out my inferior DC fans to pummel them like the thing to a bank robber. It was clobbering time. When Captain America throws his mighty shield, a 
chose to oppose his shield must yield. If he's led to a fight and a duel is due, then the red and the white and the blue will come through when Captain America throws his mighty Of course, as chauvinists in all areas and on all sides do, no one wants facts. They just want what makes them feel good. They would believe DC ruled and I would preach from the gospel of Marvel. It was like trying to debate politics on Facebook. No one really listens. No, nobody wants to hear. So as my love for comics grew, I discovered a tiny mecca in Yorkville. It wasn't much bigger than a phone booth, and it sat on 2nd Avenue between 84th and 83rd Street. It was called Super Snipe, and it was a comic geek's paradise. There were rumors that it was co-owned by George Lucas, which, you know, to a Star Wars fanatic like me, made it all that much more lovable. Look, your worshipfulness, let's get one thing straight. I take orders from just one person, me. So one day you're still alive. Will somebody get this big walking carpet out of my way? The man who owned it and often worked the counter looked a little bit like Lucas. His name was Ed Summer, and he passed away a few years ago. I have confirmed that he was indeed a friend of Lucas. They weren't business partners, but they were friends. Ed Summer would sit behind the counter, kind of a droll expression on his face, overseeing his tiny kingdom. And yeah, it was tiny. The store provided not much more space than maybe for Clark Kent to get changed in. Comics donned the walls to the ceiling, along with cool original artwork. For a brief time, actually, Ed Summer opened a comic book art gallery around the corner, but that only lasted a couple years. The perimeter of Super Sonite was surrounded by boxes and racks of lovely old and new prizes. Many were Bronze Era, but there were those extra special Silver Era books hanging up high, out of reach of tempted hands, like mine. Seeing those old Silver Era books were really magical. These were the comics with the yellowing pages and that 12 cent price. There were first issues, first issue of Spider-Man, the Avengers, X-Men. Then there was that ultimate inky arc of the Covenant, Fantastic Four number one, 10 cent price tag, and it was already worth over a thousand bucks. Recently, I saw that same issue in mint condition at Comic-Con, and it was selling for over 300,000 bucks. Man. Well, what's your name, son? I love to sing about the moon and the June and the springer. So Saturday mornings took on a new purpose. It was no longer Bugs or the Coyote and Roadrunner. It was about heading to 2nd Avenue with my pal Vito, or more often Scott, where we would get online to enter the mecca of Super Snipe. We would try to get there before it opened so we could be first in line, but there was always some annoying adults who would beat us there. I will never forget one day as we shivered in the November early morning air, waiting our turn to step into that comic book paradise. Two adults, who, looking back I recall, were probably college-age kids, said they were looking for a kid for a scene in a movie they were making, and they thought I would be perfect. Hmm, I thought, that's, that's, that's kind of cool, but do I want to give up my place in line? No. Sorry, I said I can't. I wouldn't. I couldn't. I could smell that lovely essence of old paper and adventure that wafted up your nostrils when you entered that place. So Scott raised his hand and he volunteered and he went off to be a star. I entered Super Snipe and inhaled deeply. Ah, yes, my place. Meanwhile, Scott was out on the street doing a scene in the cold where he had to walk up to a phone booth, answer the phone, say something, and walk off. I was in the warmth of this comic book paradise and he was shivering doing a cheesy scene at a phone booth. Oh well. Drink to me only with thine eyes and 
I had two cardboard boxes at home that were divided with tabs for each title. Avengers, The Defenders, Fantastic Four, all the way to X-Men. Once I spent my allowance on new issues, I would flip through the boxes of oldies, all protected in plastic bags. I would lift them out and hold them as if I were in Tiffany's, and I could feel Ed's eyes on me and his thoughts, don't even think about it, kid. I never did or, or would steal, but if I did, it would not be the ones in the boxes, nor the racks. It would be the real treasures hanging on the walls, out of a kid or adult reach. These were the ones that sparked my imagination. Marvel books from the 1960s. Price tags had more zeros than my lightweight wallet could fathom. It would take a cat burglar planning, lock picking, leather gloves, and a getaway car waiting on 2nd Avenue. Not to mention permission from my parents to sneak out at 3am. Yeah, well, keep dreaming, kid. The closest I came to these dream books was the collection of Scott's older brother, Billy. They were stored in a closet in his room, and a few times when Billy was out, Scott snuck me in, and we would peek at the amazing assortment of Silver Age books he had. And yes, this included the first issue of Fantastic Four. Holding that in my hands was like I had been handed the Holy Grail, embraced in a protective layer of plastic. And he had many others. So many that Scott, on one or two occasions, swiped one or two of these lesser treasures. I think some early issues of the Defenders were maybe a Silver Surfer, and we hightailed it to Super Snipe, where Scott hocked it, maybe for ten bucks each or so, and then he treated us to Mickey D's at another upteenth viewing of Star Wars. I thought you said this thing was fast! Watch your mouth, kid, you're gonna find yourself floating home. Luckily, Billy never became the wiser. Closer to home, Shomi Ding Ding was running his mom's candy store on Pleasant Avenue, and he had a small rack of comics in the back. Funny, back in the 70s, Jimmy Breslin wrote a few stories that claimed the head of all the crime in the world had an office in the back of that shop. His name was Onokyo, One-Eye, and I became fascinated with the existence of this mythological mobster. The door to the rear was right beside that comics rack, and many a time, as I perused the covers, I would hope to catch a glimpse of the powerful one-eyed racketeer that ran every gangster in the world and even owned a pet wolf, according to Breslin. One day I went in there with Scott and Chris and we beelined it to the magazine racks. They were mostly the same comics I had seen for the last few days, but then I spotted a new one. Spider-Man. It was issue number one. Uno. The first of a new series. Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man. Hey, you kids gonna bite something or hang around here all day? It was Charlie, Charlie Ding Ding. And I mentioned him, he was one of the great characters of East Harlem when I was a kid. He was out there for sure, but he was always pretty friendly to his kids. He was playing the grumpy card that day, and we ignored him and continued browsing and laughing loudly. Hey, you kids don't buy something fast, I'm going to get my gun. We laughed again, and he took a gun off the shelf and aimed it at us with a goofy smile. Oh, snap! We shouted and ducked behind the counter. We heard him laugh. It was one of those western cap pistols, I, I think. <laughs> I bought that Spider-Man comic, and when I got home and went right into a protective plastic sleeve where it remained, I still have that issue, still in mint condition. No, it's it's not worth 300 grand like the Fantastic Four first issue. I think last I checked, it's maybe worth 100 bucks. I guess not bad for a 35 cent purchase. I know I'd go from rags My collection would grow. And there would be a really cool coup, a great purchase of old silver era comics in my future. But that, that's a Christmas tale. And I'll tell you that one 
in the next episode of Stoops of Atlantis. I'd be a millionaire. This has been the Stoops of Atlantis with Mikey D. Stay tuned for future tales and bizarreness from that ancient land called East Harlem. Check me out on Facebook.